Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You, Me, Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 262 on resilience, ambition, and acceptance with Emmy Neatfeld. Emmy and I explore society's obsession with resilience, what happened when Emmy edited mental illness out of her college applications, the attachments we have to achievement and ambition, and Emmy's wonderful memoir, Acceptance. It is wonderful, and Emmy's wonderful, and I think this conversation is pretty darn wonderful. I loved it. I hope you love it too. Before we get to the episode, uh, I just want to remind everyone, this is actually, in fact, the last guest episode of this podcast, of Yumi Empathy. I will be recording a final episode, uh, possibly by myself, possibly with Jessica, my life pal, slash partner, slash critter, and uh, so look out for that. But as I've been saying the last few, uh, last month or so, I'm wrapping up the pod. It is coming to a close, and that feels hard, and it feels griefy, and it feels right for me uh, where I'm at right now. I've been doing this show for almost six years. Uh, As you can see, there's 262 episodes. It's a lot, and it's been so wonderful. It's been so transformative. I've loved pretty much every moment of it, certainly every moment uh, where I was witness to such beautiful courage and kindness and empathy from my beautiful guests. I've enjoyed every moment of that. And I I thank you. If you're a guest and you've been a guest on this show, I thank you. I I couldn't have done it without you, truly. Uh, Your your passion and mental health advocacy, your books, your hearts, uh, truly, truly have transformed me. And I want to thank you. And I want to thank you to, uh, I want to thank the listeners for being here with me. Even if you're a new listener, if you uh, have been a listener since episode one, thank you. Uh, this show has just been a mainstay in my life for so long. I don't know what exactly I'll do without being on a mic. You know, I've been podcasting for, I guess, over 10 years now. And uh, I may I may come back with another podcast at some point. Maybe maybe 2024 is the year I launch my James Horner themed podcast called Horner Heads, specifically for folks like myself who love James Horner, the composer of the best movie ever, Willow, duh. Uh, but maybe I'm joking about that. I don't know. I, lo- I love the medium of podcasting. I think it's um, pretty great. And so I could be coming back with a new podcast. Who knows? But in the meantime, my main focus and energy will be on two main things. One being I'm working on a creative project uh, with my friend S. And that uh, will be announced, I guess, maybe later this year. Um, the plan is for it to be published in 2024. So uh, when I can start sharing more about that, I will. Absolutely. And I will be sharing uh, about that on Instagram. Uh, you can you can follow the show on Instagram, Yumi Empathy, at Yumi Empathy. And where I'm most active is at Feely Human. And speaking of Feely Human, if you haven't heard, Feely Human is my community, is our community. It's a collective community rooted in empathy, vulnerability, and emotional curiosity. And it's been something I've been doing for the last three plus years. And in January of this year, I launched a membership community. 
I was kind of struggling with the in-person stuff. You know, I still do workshops here and there, and I love that. I love doing that. And also, I I wanted to, you know, I have so many friends and so many beautiful feely humans I've met through doing this show, through just being on Instagram, running the community, and a lot of them don't live local to me. So I thought, hey, let's start a membership community that's online and anyone can join. And I hope you do. Uh, We're doing some pretty wonderful things over there, including a movie club called Movies That Make Us Feel. We have uh, monthly workshops with expert guests uh, on a a variety of topics. We have weekly check-ins called Heart to Heart, where we deep dive on specific topics. We're doing a learning series where we watch documentaries or TED Talks, and then we talk about them and talk about what we've learned through the lens of being a feely human. And then just a a ton of spaces to explore our feelings, our hearts, our grief, our our joy, our fun, you know, the stuff stuff that fills us up and, uh, you know, just making new friends. Making new friends as an adult is hard. And so, Maybe the Feely Human Membership Community is a space where you can do that. There are two ways you can join. You can join as a free member. And as a free member, you have access to still a bunch of things. We're doing author Q&As every so often. Lately, they've been monthly. Um, We have like a monthly, uh, what we call Pillow Fort, where we just chat and gab and play an activity together. And some of the other events are open to uh, the free members. The other way to join is as a paid member. And with uh, that paid member access, you get the monthly expert-led workshops, the heart-to-hearts, the movie club, and a bunch of other wonderful things. So, buttons. So, a needle pulling thread. So, I really truly hope you do uh, join the Feely Human Membership Community. It's it's wonderful. I, I've been talking about it endlessly, it seems, and I'm going to continue. Um, but if you want to learn more about that and everything I'm doing and just staying connected with me now that this podcast is coming to an end, the best way to do that is go to feelyhuman.co. And to join the membership, go to feelyhuman.co slash membership and check it out, learn more, have any questions, you can always email me at feelyhuman at gmail.com. And uh, I'd love to connect. I'd love to continue this conversation. Uh, I'd love to see your face on a Zoom call in the community at some point. Um, let's do that. Uh, any hoozles, as I said, this is the last guest episode. I'm really, really grateful for Emmy uh, and being a part of it. She didn't know that she'd be the last episode of this podcast. Um, and, uh, so follow Emmy, uh, read her book, pick up her book called acceptance and make sure to join the Feely human membership community at feelyhuman.co and look out for a final episode, which will be, uh, me just pontificating, uh, being a weirdo, a silly feely weirdo that I am, uh, hopefully with Jessica, my life pal in tow. So look out for that. I don't know when that's coming out. Maybe, probably in August at some point. But in the meanwhile, enjoy this conversation with Emmy Neatfield on resilience, ambition, and acceptance.
To you, me, empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights, and the darks we face as humans trying to be human on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. You, me, empathy was created so that we can be witness to our collective humanity through the lens of empathy, vulnerability, and emotional curiosity. We aim to destigmatize mental health. Lead fiercely with our hearts, feel our feelings without shame and judgment, and share our courageous stories so that others may feel less alone and more connected as feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a brave place designed to inspire the beauty in each of us, because each of us, in all of our kaleidoscopic parts, makes up a magical whole that deserves to be seen. Today, I'm so grateful to be here with former foster youth, Harvard graduate, gleeful penguin aficionado an author of the new memoir, Acceptance. It's Emmy Neatfeld. Hello, Emmy. Hello, Noan. Nice to nice to be chatting with you today. Oh my gosh. It's 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 an honor. It's my pleasure. I I've been reading your book all week. I uh I didn't quite finish, but I'm I'm like on chapter 20 or so. So I'm getting there. Oh. I loved it. I love it so far. And it's it's fascinating. Um you pack a lot in there little human experience, a lot of human experience in there, uh, a lot of feely human experience, I would say. Um, and I'm excited to talk about the book. But before we do, emotional check-in time. How are you feeling, Emmy? I'm feeling, right now I'm a little jittery. Mm. I can't have coffee. And so I start every day with a mushroom drink. And today I had okay. two mushroom drinks. And now I'm like, whoo, I'm feeling... <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to take some deep breaths here. Um, Yeah, yeah. I know that feeling. I mean, to be clear, this is not psilocybin mushroom drink. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like chaga. It's chaga, Uh even though I keep looking at it to be like, what is in here? Like, it tastes just like a Thai iced tea without any caffeine. Uh I love it. But it does sometimes take you on that mushroom drink feeling Mm. that I'm on right now. I've never had that. I I am a coffee drinker. and so, and I don't get the jitters anymore. And and maybe that's just my age. Maybe that's because I just drink too much coffee. I don't know what that, what that is or what that means, but so yeah. what, when you are feeling jittery, what, what are the things that help you come down from that? Um, honestly, taking off clothes, like being cooler, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna get naked right now. Um, also just like, you know, taking deep breaths, recognizing where I'm holding tension, like right now in my arms, my legs, and trying not to squeak my squeaky chair. Um, and yeah, and also just writing down like everything that's on my mind. Mm-hmm. All of that is super helpful to come down. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like I'm probably going to go to the gym after this and then I'm going to be really grateful for that extra energy. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, I don't want to like impose. I mean, we, we're recording a podcast and, and there is a certain sort of expectation, quote unquote, about like what it means to be in the space of recording a podcast. Let's, let, let's throw that out the window. Who cares about that? You can be jittery. You can 
be all over the place. You can squeak your chair. I'm here for all of it. Thank you so much, Noan. I appreciate because, that. I mean, the reality is that, and it's the work I do day in and day out, is like this podcast, my community, we need to, as a feely human, as people in the world, learn to meet people where they're at, whatever that means, right? So part of that is like recognizing that like, hey, I don't want to squash Emmy's jitteriness. Like that's how she's showing up today. And that's okay. You know, thank you. I appreciate that. How are you? How are you feeling known? I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little sadness. I'm also feeling um, a little tired. I, uh, we've been having uh, my, my partner, Jessica and I have been living well, first of all, we live in California and the rain has been uh, wild, just so much rain, uh, record rainfall. And we live in an environment where we ha- we're we on a septic tank. I don't know if you've ever experienced Ooh. that. Yeah. And one thing about, I mean, this is, maybe this is TMI, but um, that's this is the place for it. Um, we you know, when, so the way the septic tanks work is it slowly leaches off water over time, but because the earth has been so saturated, it's just Mm -hmm. sort of not doing that as well as doing it very slowly. So we've had to be um, extra careful and conserve water. I've been taking uh, hose showers in the backyard um, so as not to kind of fill the tank even more. And that's stressful. It's a little stressful, you know? Yeah, Um, definitely. It's not something like one thinks about when it comes to septic tanks. And maybe I'm oversharing already with you, uh, a total stranger. But um, I've been a little anxious about that of late. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just hearing about it makes me feel a little like it makes me feel like the anxious empathy for you. Right. (laughs) Um, Where I'm like, wow, why is it raining so much? Like, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there. Um, well, and and two, and it's always and, right? It's always both and. And the reality is like the rain has brought like beautiful flowers. Like we are just blooming all over the place. And, you know, I go on hikes and you just so much marigold and, and poppies everywhere. And these gorgeous like wild um, purple flowers. I forgot the name of just it's gorgeous. So, right. The rain might bring some stress, flooding, et cetera. That's, that's sort of part of it. But it also gives us life. It takes it away and it gives it, which is, you know, a beautiful both and of of living in the world and the universe. Yeah, that's a beautiful yeah. way to see it. <laughs> um what is so you you writ the, you wrote this book, it came out in January of this of twenty twenty three, is that right? Yes, exactly. Oh no, sorry, it came out in August of twenty twenty two. August of twenty twenty two. Okay. Um I was wrong about that. I'm wondering, maybe separate from the book, maybe maybe connected to what is what is filling your heart right now? Like, what is feeling good in your life right now? Oh, what's feeling good? Oh, I love that question. Um, so I know from your Zoom background, known that you're a big plant person, and I recently moved. I guess it wasn't too recent at this point. It's been like, like. Uh, it's been a whole process, but I um, became a homeowner two years ago and then um, moved into the apartment permanently like six months ago. 
And one of the most wonderful things has been able to have plants. And I've been, I've been having kind of a tough time. Like I'm going off antidepressants. I am like transitioning to a new career. Um, and honestly, some days I'm like the highlight of my day is just taking care of my plants. Mm. And like, <laughs> they all have a name. I have a Monstera named Monty and um, he sprouted like five new leaves. And it's just like, and it's, it's so amazing to, to like look at the plant and see and be like, wow. Like, I mean, some of these plants, I put them through a lot and it's like, I cannot believe that you are still surviving mm-hmm. and that it's, and also just seeing that cycle, right. Where it's been winter, everything has been dormant and then suddenly it's spring and that's really um, hopeful. And I also just think they're so, they're so beautiful and I'm really impressed that I've kept them alive. <laughs> It's hard work. Yeah. And I should say, I I love all of that. There's such a beautiful, there's a lot of lessons in taking care of plants, really anything, you know, that requires patience and tending to, um, there's a lot of poetic, poetic beauty in that. That's, that's related to like how we humans sort of ebb and flow. Right. Um, just for clarity's sake, because Jessica will punch me in the in the face if I don't clarify this. The the indoor plants are her babies. I I help move move them about when they need to be moved about, but there are literally like this this table I'm at right now. It's like 50% plants. Like they're all sort of encroaching in on me. I love them. They're beautiful. They 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 bring light into the the room, and I also feel like they're out to get me. I feel like I'm going to wake up in the morning or in the middle of the night, and one's going to be wrapping its little tendrils around my leg. Um, there's a short horror film there, and in there somewhere. I believe I see, I see that. I believe that. <laughs> I mean, they're gorgeous, and I'll have to maybe when, once this recording is done, I can I can give you a quick tour of. There's literally like 50 plus plants in this 720 square foot house. So many. I love that. I love that. When I was growing up, we had so many hostas that my every year we would have to go through and like dig half of them out and like split them in half mm-hmm. and just give them away. Right. Which yeah. is like a metaphor for abundance. And maybe also that like the things that you love can take over your life if you're not too careful about it. <laughs> That's true. I like that. Yeah. So um, you mentioned going off of antidepressants. What's uh, what's going into that decision? What's how are you feeling about that? Yeah, I. So I was going through like many people was going through kind of a rough time in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working on acceptance, and I was doing some research for it, and I learned some things that really like threw my world for a loop. Mm. Um, like right before New York City shut down for like in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I live. And so I ended up um I took them as a teenager and I ended up trying them again. And it was really helpful to me for about a year, but I was having a lot of side effects and I felt like it was really impacting my sleep. So it was mm. like, you know, kind of the plan was I'll I'll try this and then I'll try going off. Um and and I think it's been the right the right decision for me. Um, and it's 
but it's one of those really interesting things where like these medications are so, so helpful for some people. Yeah. They're really unhelpful for other people. And then a lot of people are kind of in the middle or have a good, you know, have a good experience, but have kind of a withdrawal period. Um, and so it's honestly, it's given me a lot of insight into what was going on for me as a teenager. Um, and in a lot of the stuff I wrote about in acceptance Mm. where like that took place when I was a teenager, which was like, you know, 15 years ago, like 10 to 15 years ago. And that we just didn't have all the information that we have now. Right. Like back then, if you were having a hard time going off, people were like, people didn't understand. Um, and I'm so grateful that we have like more awareness now. We do. We certainly do. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I, I also take antidepressants Mm -hmm. or I'm, I'm, I have been for the last decade or so. They've really been the only thing that have helped me out of some of the more sort of self-harmy suicidal stuff that I've experienced, uh, over the course of my life, which I'm grateful for. And I, I agree. I also see that, that they're not for everyone. We're all sort of unique little beings in that way. What, what has like what when you when you think about depression for you what does that look like yeah for me honestly i think historically it's been kind of a part of post traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. and so that is something i've lived with for a long time and like really struggled to get treatment for and then i went through like very specific like exposure therapy treatment Um, which was really helpful. Um, but then followed by kind of more traditional like trauma therapy. Um, and so at a, at certain points it's been like those symptoms have been so much that they kind of made me really depressed. Right. Mm. I was like, wow, it's just really hard to like live like this. Um, and that also comes with like some sleep problems. Um, and like, I feel like every, like I went to bed at 11 PM, woke up at 11 AM, <laughs> you <Wow>. know? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was awake for a little while in the middle of the night for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I feel very, and I feel very lucky that I've been able to structure my life to make that be, be okay. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it sucks sometimes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Being human, it sucks sometimes. That's like a, yeah. a tagline of being human for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I mean, so you in the book, in acceptance, you do talk a lot about, you know, your mental health, obviously, and, and your experience with self-harm and 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 suicide and um eating disorder. Um I battled anorexia for about 15 years in my teens and twenties, uh, just just so you know. Um how are how are how is that stuff for you now like how how is yeah. like where are you at with eating disorder stuff and self harm stuff and suicidal ideation stuff like how is that going for you yeah thank you for asking i so for people who haven't read the book you know when i was in high school like many many people i had a very difficult family situation where my parents went through a really acrimonious divorce. Um, Both of them had pretty severe mental health issues. And I was living with my mom, who was a hoarder. 
And I received um, mental health treatment, but it was not necessarily the right treatment for me at the time Mm -hmm. um, or for anyone. And so I was, I was really dealing with so much just despair and kind of depression and like self harm slash like self-medicating behaviors, like kind of coming from that. Um, And so it was just this, these years that were, I was like, like just really, really hard to get through. And I feel like I was doing everything that I could to kind of just get through them. Yeah. Survival. Um, Yeah. Survival. And, um, and I feel really, I feel so fortunate that I basically was able to like, my dream was go away to college and I was able to go away to college, um, at Harvard where I had a lot more support, like not all the support that would have been like ideal, but I had, I just was able to kind of reset my life and have like, okay, now I have like a clean place to live. I have um like, you know, food that's like consistent. I have like a bed. And um and so I feel really grateful that like I was able to basically like move like recover, like move I it's hard to find the right word, right? Because I feel like move on is like trivialize it, trivializes it, but um that I was kind of some of that stuff I was able to like almost leave it like with my mm. family and my home um, where I grew up. And so like, yeah, I'm just so, you know, and I know it's not that easy for most people, not that it was like easy for me, but um, I think I was really lucky. Right. Mm. Um, and so like, I, I think now it stuff manifests like differently to the point where it, it can often surprise me where I, as a result of like experiencing abuse of like various forms, like I really struggle with feeling like I'm a bad person Mm. and have like a lot of social anxiety, like, you know, thinking, Oh, this person hates me. That person hates me. Um, yeah, you could relate to that. Yeah, I, I do. I do. Yeah. 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 And I feel like people often say like, you know, who cares what other people think? And it's like, that's, that's an important part of being human. Right. Like, we live in community with others, like, you know, I agree. yeah, like, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I feel like now I have my own, like kind of my own different set of challenges that I've been navigating. Um, and like, you know, even eating disorder stuff, it like, it, it manifests in a much milder way, but like, how much do I exercise? Like, what do I do? Like, am I getting weaker? Like, I can't get weaker. Like, what's going to happen if I get weaker? Yeah. Um, and so it can be a lot, but I'm, I feel very fortunate that like, like, I hope the worst is over. Like, I hope I never go back to the place I was at as a teenager. I hope so too. Well, and it, it feels like, you know, there was in reading your story and 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 working up to the point where you do go off to Harvard. I sense there's so much like in you that's just riding on this, like that feels like, oh, once Emmy is like there, like all's gonna be well, right? And, and like that's that's the sense I got, and like maybe even the pressure you were putting on yourself, right? Because you know, uh, you had a rough upbringing you know you lived with foster parents who 
you know, uh, I, I don't want to put words into your head or your mouth, but they felt really harsh. And yeah, your mom uh, was difficult, right? And, and, and your father transitioned and, and that, and, you know, that must have been disruptive and, and confusing and all of that stuff. And then, yeah, living on your own and uh, yeah, the treatment and all of that stuff. Like that's a lot to hold as a kid and and all of that plus like maybe not being seen in the process of that is a lot. And then, yeah, you get to Harvard to be able to maybe shed some of that or let go of some of that feels really powerful and also yeah maybe like wow i mean i don't know like that feels like it feel maybe it feels like a switch to me even like oh she turned a switch and um it feels that feels hard and it also feels like i'm grateful for for that because you did have it hard for so long yeah absolutely and i think anybody um you know, who, who I'm talking to about my time at Harvard, how, you know, I was in an abusive relationship for about half of it. Like Mm. I definitely had a lot of like mental health struggles that I was not getting treatment for. And I wouldn't get treatment for, for like, I don't know, a few years. Mm. Um, But I think, I think we have, we have this tendency in our society to say that people who people who take like trauma and respond to it with like productivity are like better people. Yeah. And, and I happen to be one of those people, right. Where that was my response. Like, it wasn't like I even chose it. It was just like, that's how my, my like body and brain thought, like you're going to get out of this situation. And like, I feel really grateful for that. And also very aware, like that it does not make me a better person. Yeah. Um, and that I think people who kind of respond the way I did, it's like that call it like trauma energy pellets where like you get this burst of, I feel like I had this burst of energy like through my mid twenties. And then now I feel like, wow, I've crashed. Mm. Like I've got to just learn how to live in a totally different way than I was living during that time. Yeah. It serves us for a time, like the way that you survived. Yeah. As you put escaping into your ambitions and all of that, it makes so much sense. Right. And it served you for a while. And then, and then it doesn't at a, at a point. And it's usually in your twenties or thirties when, I mean, I experienced the same situation where my parents um, weren't the best. My dad was very abusive and, and me being a sensitive feely kid, a lot of just kind of shutting down. Right. And then I get into my 20s, right? It's just like, it takes time to let that go. It takes time to like de-armor yourselves. And then once you start doing that, it's fucking scary. And it feels, you know, little a little wandery. And like, where am I finding my footing? Where, where are my anchors, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think there's also like a gendered component there, right? Where like, I feel lucky that as a, you know, people said mean stuff to me like, oh, she's dramatic or histrionic. But I do feel like our society often allows like girls a little more leeway in like feeling those like big feelings. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that may be true. And, you know, 
I'm a white cis het man. So I, I got it made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hear you. It's, it's, all, it's all, you know, of course, like, and, and you talk about this a little bit, right? It's like, it's not very useful to like compare our traumas with each other. Like the, just yeah. because like, yes, I have a measurable pl- privilege and also, yeah, things were hard too. Like yeah. it doesn't cancel that out. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 I think I say that as somebody who's married to like a, you know, a cis het white man, man who grew up with like a fair, like a lot of privilege. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's also been interesting for him to like go to therapy and I mean, we, sh- we struggled so much in, in our relationship, like, especially around when we got married and I had been going through an HR investigation at work, like after having to report something. And that was like the worst of my PTSD. Mm. And this he was at had Google. This was a Google. Yeah. And, um, and it sucks because it's like, we got married and we were like, like I was crying like every night, mm. you know, and I was like. And it, it took me to like a suicidal place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he had he had no idea how to help me, you know, or even how to like mirror emotions. Mm-hmm. And that was really like a journey for for him and also for us to go back and like look at like, you know, basically to to come down to like he was very very lucky and like very privileged in many ways, like and you know, even, even with that, it can still fuck you up. You know? It can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. And I, uh, lately I've been reflecting a lot on just the, the privilege of sort of isolating into our own uh, ideas and friendship circles and, and how important it is to just like learn about others' experiences, just generally. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, because it, it, it allows for us to sort of, first of all, just confront our own bias, you know, and confront our own privilege and, and see how others live and, and the struggles of other groups in the world. Right. Yeah. And I think with that comes, can come a lot of empathy training, you know, learning to listen, learning to be present, learning not to you know, jump in with our own, you know, righteousness about our own perspective. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, t- that just takes practice like anything, anything worth doing, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's, for me, that's a big part of why I've loved like reading books and like write, writing a book is that it's, you know, that's when you're inside somebody else's head, that's can be the ultimate empathy. Right. And when you're like, hey, I literally don't know anybody who's been through this. It can be really, really hard. Like, I feel like for me, I wrote about a lot of like a lot of um, stuff like, you know, some stuff related to like sexual assault. And for me, what was so important actually was like to read about or talk to other people who had had like elements of the same experience Mm -hmm. because I felt like I'm a freak. Like this is somehow my fault. But then when I learned like, oh, okay, this like same thing happened to somebody else, it was like the most, it, it really let me like let go of all that. Mm. Yeah. Um, we're mirrors for each other. Yeah, absolutely. And it's why, you know, it's why we need each other really, 
you know? Because yeah. otherwise, yeah, we isolate into our experiences. We isolate into our traumas or, or whatever it may be. And it, that's such a human thing to do. But yeah, seeing, seeing others experience similar things allows us to soften into, into this shared humanity space that's so crucial to our healing. It's a yeah. beautiful way to put it. <laughs> I think about it a lot. I mean, as someone who's been sort of publicly talking or writing about my mental health um, for the past yeah decade or so, it's I see how crucial it is to 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 allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to to open up, mm. not not as a point of like performative performative sort of performance, right? Which is done and 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 I see that everywhere, but as a means to connect, as a means to allow others to find a safe space to be seen themselves. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, in you know, speaking of that, like you write this book, it it, it features so much like human this human humaning stuff, this human stuff, so much mental health stuff, so much yeah, overcoming and we'll get to the resilience piece for sure. But like how how has the response been from folks who've read it, who've connected, who've empathized with your your experiences? How has that been? It's honestly been really wonderful. I was really braced for the worst. Um really? and I think, yeah, because I think it happens to it happens to authors like um you know, particularly if you're, if you're a woman or like, like I think women of color get this more like fat women, like it's horrible. Mm. Um, but I feel like just as a woman who's writing about like privilege and also about like sexual assault, that mm. there's just, there's just a lot of people out there who are, who are, you know, bad people, unfortunately. Right. Um, I don't, I don't usually think about the word that way, but, um, I know how reading something can be can be triggering for somebody or like bring out the worst in them. And so I was really afraid of afraid of that. Um but actually the book got, made it into the hands of people who really needed it and who just like shared beautiful stories with me. And um Yeah, and I think that it can be a be a challenging book where I've gotten this feedback from like, you know, suburban, like suburban moms who are like, this book is impossible to read. It's mm. really, really hard. Like it's so painful. And, and I think it's, I think that that is largely because of empathy, right? Because you're like bad things happen in this book and like it's real life and there's nothing that you can do as a reader to go in and like stop it. Mm. Um, But it's, I, th but I also think that can be important to to build that empathy and to realize like oh this is happening to like hundreds of thousands or millions of kids like in this country right now yeah um and here's why we need changes and at the same time the book is like has been inspiring for most of like the younger readers mm. um which has been really really cool um where i think that there's I think adults have a tendency to look back on the teen years and be like, you know, it was idyllic. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Mm -hmm. And then teenagers are like, no, it's not like that. <laughs> like maybe when you guys were kids, but it is not like that anymore. Yeah. It, I mean, 
uh, yeah. I I look back on my my teenage self. I'm just that was that was a hard time. Like I don't I don't I don't want to go back there. No, I mean, of course, there were some good things, right? And like a lot of us were like young and hot, you know. But (laughs) (laughs) no Botox needed, like crop tops, whatever. I don't know. Even though, like, I think probably for you and I, we were like, oh, we felt so bad about our bodies that we weren't going to wear the crop top. I mean, put Um, me in a crop top today. I will. I will own that. Yes, I love that. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that uh, people have found this book and have have connected to it and related and found found hope in it. Certainly, you know. Yeah. You know, and I, you, you do talk about this in the book a lot. It's one of the, sort of the core themes of like this this thing we do as humans in society and our culture, where we we like narratives that are triumphant right folks folks sort of finding the way in the world overcoming odds beating the odds you know all of that stuff that's very powerful and has helped so many people and as you've discussed like it could be problematic so i have lots to say on this you know some of it dips into capitalism and individualism etc cetera, etc cetera. but i would love to sort of start with like why is sort of the the quote unquote resilience narrative why can it be problematic? Absolutely. So there's nothing wrong with like encouraging or hoping people are like have inner strength in the face of challenges. Like I don't want to dunk on all of resilience as a concept, but oh. something that I noticed and that talking to other people is a pretty widespread phenomena is that often people who are disadvantaged face an overwhelming burden to be resilient. And so like when I was in, when I was entering my senior year of high school and I was like sleeping in my car during breaks for school and I was like writing these college essays, I had this overwhelming pressure that it's like all that they want to see is somebody who triumphed. Like even though I'm still there, I'm still like sleeping in the backseat of this car they want somebody who has like already triumphed and already overcome. And we, I think as Americans, I think we often conflate that with like moral goodness. Mm -hmm. And we like to believe that every single person has the power to completely transcend their circumstances. If they just try. Yes. And that by extension, like if you are affected by bad things that happen to you, like it is because you are an inferior person. Yeah. 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 It's very, it's very uniquely American for sure. I mean, it's the bootstraps. It's connected to that. Certainly. It's like when, when I was like in the throes of my anorexia and someone came up to me and said, just go eat a sandwich. Right. It's a, it's a complete sort of like, it's not based in reality. Certainly it's, it's certainly not accounting for, the nuance and complexity that that goes into something like that, right? Into overcoming, yeah. into into sort of, you know, having an eating disorder as an example, right? Um, yeah, and it's it to me it it, you know, it it's gross because it it tends to, as you said, it tends to isolate or or diminish the 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 value of 
those who are most marginalized, those who are um, impoverished or, or, you know, black, queer, trans communities. Right. And that's, uh, that's not okay. Right. It's uniquely like individualistic, capitalistic. And, uh, as the listeners know, uh, capitalism is a dehumanizing force in the world. It's, it's, it's fucked. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good way to put it. That's the, that's the technical term. Yes. Yes, yeah. it's fucked. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how have you like coming from this place of like, I got to achieve, I got to um, sort of edit out my mental illness to be able to like even, you know, achieve the thing I want, get into, get into Harvard, et cetera, et cetera. Like how have you held and embodied this coming from a place of like, I have to do this. I have to overcome. I have to get to this place of like achievement and like, how are you holding ambition and resilience now as a, I don't know how old you are. Are you in your 30? 30. Okay. I wish I let you guess how old I was. You were either going to say like twenties or forties. <laughs> I was going to say, no, I was definitely not going to say forties because I'm 41. I was going to say late twenties or early thirties based on the you know timeline of reading your my book. life <laughs> yeah <laughs> not based on whether or not i wear my wrinkle sticker in the morning um i i can't see that yeah um okay even though i feel like that even though it's a silly diversion i feel like it that's actually like a telling comment on my end um where you know it's it's really hard for me to to kind of let that achievement stuff go hmm. um and i I think that what I did as a teenager and a young adult, like trying to get stability in a capitalist economy, um, trying to like just play the system to get what I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really, it really, really affected me in some ways that um, still really leave scars. And I think part of it is you mentioned capitalism and it's also like ableist where there's this idea that if if a hardship makes you more productive, then it's for the better. And right. so one of the hardest things for me has been to like to both, you know, recognize that today my life is like a very it's, you know, I have money, I have I live in New York, like I have many things that many people do not have. And then also to push back against like, no, it was not worth it. You know, Mm. like nothing is the idea that a certain amount of success can like make injustice worth it is a messed up idea that does not like, it does not make the world more equal. It literally justifies inequality because Mm. I think a lot of people see me and they think like, oh, well, she made it out. Therefore, like the system is not that bad. Mm -hmm. Um. And so it's just, it's something that I'm always, always dealing with and just really like, I'm in a place right now where I'm really struggling to find better balance and to stop like defining myself based on these achievements. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and part of that is hard because it does require like reevaluating values that kept me safe, that like helped save me, um, but that are ultimately really counterproductive. And not just for me, but for society. Right. Yeah. 
No, that's really well said. It's and and as we said before, it's hard it's hard to disentangle that stuff. And I hope you're giving yourself kindness as you do so and patience, right? Because it takes time. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um yeah. Ambition is a weird one, right? Like we we are all sort of influenced by it. We all want to oh to speak for me. I want to I want to make a difference in the world, right? I want to le- quote unquote leave a mark, right? You know, cuz like I I get all existential. I'm like, well, first of all, I didn't think I was going to live to 20 and I'm, for, I'm I've doubled that. So I the rest is just gravy, right? So like live it up and 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 take risks and all that stuff, but like that's also a privilege to be able to do that and to be able to even think about that and like have the sort of like, let's, let's sort of get in my head and think about, you know, and use my imagination to like think about all the ways that I can, you know, whatever, whatever, that's a privilege. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and there's, there's this, you know, with capitalism, there is a, there is a certainly an overemphasis on checking boxes, right? As you point out about resilience, right? It's about like getting to the other side and like having a finish line, right? And reality is like, there aren't any finish lines, certainly not to healing, certainly not to empathy. Um, When we start to feel like there's a finish line to anything, we just stop growing and learning, perspective taking, all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I will say that when I was going through the worst of my PTSD, what was it like, you know, I had, I had nightmares and flashbacks and would scream when people came up behind me. Mm. And what was worse than all of that was this feeling that if I had been like a quote unquote better person, that wouldn't be happening to me. Like Mm. I would not be affected. And that was, that was way worse than the actual like then the more concrete symptoms that I was going through. And I really felt like, like I was working on acceptance, like at the time. Right. And I felt like I'm never going to publish this book because I feel like such a failure. Mm. Um, And there's this, just this sense of like, even of mental health as achievement. And that like, if you're not in a place of like balance and like mm-hmm. harmony that you're <laughs> that, like, you're not doing it right. And it's like, I it's know. so unrealistic. It's, it's so, so damaging. It's so damaging. Yeah. 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 So like with this, you know, still sort of disentangling these, these sort of ambitious or the, the ambition within you, like how is that interplayed with this book and putting it out in the world and maybe, maybe feeling pressure to like sell a certain amount or whatever. Like, how has that been? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's been very, <laughs> interesting and i think for a lot of debut authors it's it can be very destabilizing where mm. you know i had this this goal like i spent a lot of my life moving from one goal to another and like mm-hmm. honestly like publishing a book was one of those goals and it was something i wanted since i was 17 like and i wrote the the things that eventually became the book um and so it's it's very different now to like wake up in the morning and be like okay i did that thing and be kind of like, what is next? Mm. And the impulse is like, okay, what's next is like literally 
like you said, a checklist of like, okay, I want to write for the New Yorker. I want to write for New York Magazine. I want to like, um, but I'm trying to take this step, like I take a step back and be like, okay, what does it matter? Like, not just for me, but for other people, because mm. it's like, you know, that kind of focus is very, it's very isolating and alienating to just like maximize for yourself. Yeah. Um, and like, I have empathy for myself for like why I did it. And I know why a lot of people do it, but I think it's also important to be like, to recognize that that's not, that's not the only way to live. Um, and as somebody who has like certain power and privilege, like I, I'm putting something out in the world by like the choices that I make. And I want to be proud of those choices. Mm. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot to hold, right? Cause like a book like this, as, as we discussed, it's going to be life changing for some people and it's going to, it's going to help them feel seen. It's going to help them feel less alone. It's going to, yeah, potentially save lives, which is a beautiful gift to, to humanity. Yeah. And at the same time, right. If it's like, yeah, next goal, let's, let's, let's move on. Let's, let's like, I got to already start thinking. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that can be a bit problematic. Cause like part of that too is like, maybe I'm disassociating or maybe I'm sort of disregarding or just bypassing and remembering that like, this is a good thing. Let's, let's sit in it. Let's marinate it in it for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this this idea around, I mean, you you've talked about this, the idea idea around sort of mental health and, and feeling that's equated to being bad, right? This, yeah. this you know, and I I resonate with that. I, I definitely relate to that. And I think many people can, right? Because it's we again, we live in this world where like value is um being quote unquote clean or or eating vegan or or you know, having the perfect job and having you know a partner and two kids and a dog or whatever like there's so much of that yeah. that just takes us out of and and does i mean it pits us against one another right yeah it it thrives on us comparing our lives to others which it's not okay yeah Compare and despair. Compare and despair. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we all deserve to be seen, right? And being seen and seen takes a lot of patience, empathy, listening. You know, it's... And uh, in my experience, uh, not many people are great at that. Yeah. And so how do we, I don't know, I, I, I sort of struggle with this question. How do we sort of keep moving forward and trying to enact change in that way that helps people be better listeners, help people bring more empathy into their world? And I think, I think your book certainly can be a part of that. Books as portals to empathy are, are, have been a crucial part of my experience, certainly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess there are many ways in. But we have to be open enough to to get in, to jump in, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you you came from 
some evangelical Christianity. Me too. Yeah. Hi. Hello. Wow. <laughs> hi. <laughs> uh, and that's that's a framework that can be not for everyone, but can be very sort of like blinders up, right? Um, yeah. Very righteous. Anything outside of that realm is wrong, right? Bad, yeah. you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What, when you think about Christianity or religion today, like what, how do you feel about it? Yeah, that's a, I'm really glad you asked that because I've, I've been thinking about it a lot, especially recently, um, where I, I write about it in acceptance actually, because growing up I was, I was really religious, um, and my family was evangelical and I really bought into it. And then I, when yeah, you memorize Bible verses, I was a champion, champion Bible memorizer, yeah. which Minnesota didn't State know champion. was a thing. Didn't it's, know was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a. You'd be shocked at how few verses I know that though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it really just all left me, um, along with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I kind of lost my faith when one of my parents came out as trans and mm. was just completely like rejected by the church. Um, and. I I do feel like religion can be a really powerful force in people's lives. And I see that in, in some of the people that I know, like some of my favorite people that I went to college with were like the Harvard Christians. There was like Mm. this Harvard Christian club. And it's like, you know, it was seemed like it was the, like a lot of these people like maintained these values that were not like meritocracy. They were not, you know, mm. superficial status-driven values. And I was like, can I have some of that? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so that's definitely something that I'm that I'm exploring of like, do I will I try to find like a faith community that's that's more in line with with I don't want to say in line with my values, but that values like equality of humans. Yeah. Um like that's definitely something I'm thinking about. Um but I think it's, I think it's hard. And I think like that, honestly, that our society has like lost out on a lot from losing, like not any specific like religious community. And I think that there are dark sides to it, but it can be just like such a community. And I want that, you know, I want that community yeah. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need community. Um, it's what, yeah. what, you know, whether we're made by, I mean, who knows how we're made, but we need that. We're made to be in community and in connection with each other. Yeah. 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 Are you yeah. religious now? Are you? No, um, I'm not. I think it took a while to sort of disentangle that for sure. Yeah. And, and it came with a lot of trauma for me. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad like yelling, what would Jesus do at me? And oh. I remember thinking like, well, I feel like Jesus wouldn't yell, like for starters, <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, it's been a while. Uh, yeah. And I, I think as, as I think is the norm, you, you're raised in such a, a strict religion and then, and then you rebel for a period of time and you're like, fuck that. I'm an atheist. And then you read like Richard Dawkins and, you know, uh, Christopher Hitchens. And then, and then you're like, well, this is, this feels a little like divisive unnecessarily. 
and then you soften and you maybe dip into Buddhism and, and those sorts of things. And I don't know where I'm at. I, I, I'm certainly like, I'm open to everything. Like I have an open heart to, to most things, but I do see a lot of suffering that's happening in certainly Christian spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, again, to your point, like I think community is powerful and we need it. And when the communities are designed to dehumanize other communities, mm-hmm. that's not okay. Yeah. That's not the point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, it's, you know, it's got to be nice to like, in some ways, feel confident that you're going to live forever, right? That feels great. <laughs> Because you know, I, I'm 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 a middle aged dude now, and I I have moments where I'm like, well, it's bonkers that we're here. I could die tomorrow, right? Like I have those yeah. thoughts for sure. How are you on death? Do you do you feel? Do you think about death? No, I'm afraid of it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I yeah, I don't know. I think I've always been one of those people who is really sensitive to it. Like I would just start crying a lot, imagining my dog dying. Mm. Um, And like, I think about, I went through a period right after I got married where I was just so scared. Like every time my husband left the house, like that Mm. he was going to die. And I mean, and we do bike in New York city, like ride bicycles. So that's, it's not the most unrealistic fear ever, Yeah, but, um, but it's, I don't know. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm in the place of trying not to think about it too much. <laughs> um, but, but also it's interesting because you're like, how many choices should I make in my life, knowing that I'm going to die? Like, mm. I think you could argue that that sh- could be a guiding. Maybe that should be like a guiding factor in like every choice that you make. Maybe. Um. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm choosing to live in ignorance for at least a few more months. <laughs> I mean. It's a thing we all share. Everyone yeah. dies, just as everyone poops. Uh, we all die and poop. Um, sometimes we poop while we're dying. Uh, sorry. Um, and yeah, it's big. And and mystery is hard to hold. Right? Yeah. It's beautiful and it's hard. Yeah. It's overwhelming and it's awe-inspiring, right? Yeah. 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 And I, I think I, I feel like that is one of the things that that can be helpful for someone who does struggle is like trying to hold the beauty of of the light and the dark, right? And and seeing them both as valid and informative, even right, and and not as oppositional things, not as binary things, right? Yeah, that's I mean, that certainly has helped me. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah, like seeing the sea, right? Like I, I live near an ocean, as do you. Um, it's the sea is fucking scary. It's vast. It's mysterious. We don't know what's under there. Monsters we've never seen, and it's also like so gorgeous and beautiful, and and there's a lot of. I think there's a lot of truth in the idea of like holding holding all of that. And just sitting in 
the discomfort of that, sitting in the the unknowing of that. Wow. Snaps. Snaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, this is just a snapshot of a middle-aged man going through existential crisis. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Stop. I, I, I'm 30 and my husband's 32. And the other day I was like, did you know that the oldest millennials are now middle-aged? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he was like, we're middle-aged. Is 30 middle-aged? I, I thought like 40 was. I think, I think that that's a safer cutoff, but I do live a middle-aged lifestyle, I'd say. Mm-hmm. You know, plants, what is that? plants, plants yeah, bed, plants, books. Plants, bed, book, bed, writing, yeah. one drink, hungover, uh-huh. um, yeah, sure, <laughs> no sure. fun, no onion, no garlic, upset stomach, indigestion. <laughs> yes, IBS for sure. You turn um, 30 and you just your stomach doesn't work anymore. Like I was complaining to a friend and I was like, this person must think I'm the most boring person in the world. And she looked at me and she's like, are you 30 yet? And I'm like, yeah, I am. And she's like, when did your problem start? And I was mm. like, October. And she's like, when's your birthday? And I was like, October. She's like, that's why. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, I I mean, yes, I I feel that for sure. The intestinal struggle is real. It is. It is real. It is real. I know. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, but that's a dark talk about dark and mysterious things that are also light and life-giving, right? The whole yeah. microbiome, that whole for ocean sure. within us. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what's going on in there? It could be the cause. Yeah. Our bodies are mysteries for sure. Yeah. Who knows? And especially those of us who've been in and out of treatment or like have, have sought sort of solutions through sort of traditional medical, you know, ways. There's a lot of mystery in there, right? It's like, here, try this thing. I don't know if it's going to help, you know? I've definitely yeah. have lots of moments where that where where doctors are just like, yeah, I don't know why your your heart has this extra beat. Like, who knows? You know, yeah. that feels scary, but also like, is what it is. Yeah, a bit, you know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, a needle pulling thread, and and forgive me if if I don't know if whether or not they're they're here or not here how how is your relationship with your parents maybe your yeah. mother in particular yeah definitely um spoiler alert <laughs> for people who who haven't read acceptance but i am estranged from both of my parents i would say i'm happily estranged i think it's mm-hmm. worked out really well for both of us um or at least for me um but i I went through this period where I thought I absolutely could not like make distance from my mom. And part of it was growing up like in teen treatment, you know, you're told like you have to just, you have to like accept stuff. You have to, you can only control yourself. And that message of like, you can only control yourself. That actually did not apply to like, if, someone is causing you harm, you Mm. can distance yourself from them. Um, So when I became an adult, it was so shocking to me that I, when I did start talking about my past, which was like my mid twenties, people would be like, are you still in contact with your mom? And when I said yes, they would be like, why? 
And that was so startling to me to be kind of like given that social permission. And I do think that there's a lot of stigma around estrangement. It's obviously like a big decision and not something that people should take lightly. But I am a really, I am a big advocate of telling people that it can be great. You know, we have this idea that estrangement is always like fraught and painful and hard. And like, just because a decision is hard doesn't mean that the outcome is always hard, right? Like lots of people agonize, like, should I have kids? They think about it for years and they do it and they like never look back. And for me, like estrangement has basically been, been the same way. And I really credit it with like being able to like take charge of my life, kind of move past some of the stuff and also find the people who really like love me and make me happy. Mm. Um, you know, not that my mom doesn't love me or I don't love her, but um, you know, we can't control other people and some some people just really need help that you cannot give. Um Very true. Yeah. Yeah. How did she take it? Um she it seemed like she didn't like she just refused to listen. And so I kept getting these like texts from her that were like basically implied that everything was okay. Yeah. Um, but she did like text a family member, like she texted my sister-in-law telling her, like, you know, Emmy says that she can't talk to me until I get help for my issues. And like basically Emmy needs to learn how to like not be affected by other people. And, and I was like, so shocked because I was like, wow, she actually understood what I told her. Like, you know, Emmy won't talk to me until I deal with my issues. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it was that, that thing that we were talking about before where it's like, Hey, you have to learn how, you know, how not to be affected by what anybody else does, Mm. which I mean, (laughs) kudos to the people who can do that, but that's not a key feature of humanity, right? That like another person yeah. does something to you and then you just don't respond or you don't feel anything. Like that's not, that's not how primates work. I'm pretty sure. Agreed. And I, it it's not how it should be. Right. Yeah. Uh, like we, we need to be impacted by one another because like not being impacted is just, yeah, it's just another re- means to isolation and, and, uh, division, I, I feel. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. That had to have been hard. Um, and I'm grateful that you feel unburdened by it, or or at least less burdened by by yeah. having your mother yeah. in your life. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> I mean, I know it's sad if that's like the emotional high note of the show, but like I'm I'm working on a piece right now about it. And I like ask people, like I put out a call on Twitter, like, hey, like I want to talk to people who have had really positive estrangements. Mm. And I was flooded with messages. Just like there's so many people out there who who made this choice that is difficult and hard and often stigmatized and like are better off for it. Yeah. And so that's like because it's just I think if if you're in that place of, should I do this? Should I not do this? It would have been really great to me to know, like, if I, if I have to decide like that, we're not going to be in contact. My life is not over and there can be so much joy that comes from this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, 
sort of almost full estrangement from my father for about a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently had to sort of contact him to work on potentially taking care of my brother who lives with schizoaffective disorder. But um, that decision was yeah. very important to my healing, yeah. you know, because yeah. at, at a certain point, right? Like we have to, we have to sort of assess if, if they continue to bring you suffering and, and anguish and hurt and you give them chances, right? And they continue to do that. At a certain point, you're like, you have to say no. Because you because because you don't deserve that, Emmy. I don't deserve that. No one does. Right. Yeah, it's a hard decision. Uh, and it's essential. Yeah. Too true. Yeah. yeah. And I think also, you know, people often think like if someone was abusive, but it was in the past mm. that, like, oh, you should, you know, that victims should be able to move on. And I think people don't realize that like denying abuse is, is like abusive. Like that's a form of ongoing abuse that, you know, not every like perpetrator does, but that's really common in families. Right. And say what's Mm -hmm. done is done when it's like, Hey, like for me, like my stuff was not done. Like it lives on. It continues. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's the, Family is family. You got to like, you got to like sort of make everything okay because it's family. Right. And that's, that's, that's shitty. Yeah. It's like, it's like people should have thought about that when they were treating you badly. Right. Like it's family. Like, are you going to yell at this person? Like, are you going to gaslight them? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. they're equally family there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Has, you know, you mentioned like so much, beautiful positive feedback about the book have have there been you know because you some might say airing dirty laundry or whatever right like you, you've you talk about very personal things you know and 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 very sort of personal people in your life foster parents your parents etc have you had any negative responses from people in your family or or people who have been who were mentioned in the book um i had a difficult thing with a with a cousin where she was really nervous about like telling the secrets of the family. Mm. Um, and, but then honestly the book came out and she was fine. There's this like interesting, like adage in memoir that the people who are upset are never the people you think are going to be upset. Mm. Where like, yeah, it's often just like, I mean, I think it's because we're, we're humans and we're, we care deeply about how people see us. And yeah. so it's often like really small things about like, you know, somebody's like, I want you to portray me as like youthful, right? Or like mm-hmm. make sure not to say my age. Mm-hmm. And and like it's I found a lot of these things where it was like easy to honor it and like make that person feel like taken care of by just right. like, I'm not gonna name your, you know, I'm not gonna say you have a child or like I'm yeah. not gonna name your age. Um, but I do know that there's like I think you know, it must've been hard for my mom. Um, and luckily I, we had that estrangement stuff beforehand. Um, and I know there's some people on Amazon who didn't like the book. I didn't read the reviews, but I heard, I heard that some people do not like it. So yeah, which is good. I think it's better to have some people like, you know, know like it touched a nerve. (laughs) Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We can't please everyone. 
Yeah. yeah. Our, our stuff is not for everyone. Um, yeah. Well, I'm grateful the book is out in the world. Thank you. And uh, for the listeners, you know, go pick it up. It's a beautiful memoir. I love memoir. I love of the stories of, of human, human people being human in the world. Um, you can order it through Emmy's website. Link will be in the show notes or at bookshop.org is a great resource. Just your local bookshop too is, you know, if you have one, make sure to order it from there. Let's talk about Empathy Heroes, Emmy. Um, so my uh, Empathy Hero this week is Beverly Cleary. Um, so Beverly Cleary, I grew up, Do you know Beverly Cleary's stories? I, it sounds familiar. So Ramona, um, Henry and Ribsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was a very pretty famous children's uh, author. Um, I think starting in like the, maybe the 50s, maybe earlier than that. But... I grew up reading Henry and Ribsy, and I recently um, have been spending some time with my my friends' uh, kids and taking them to bookshops. Mm-hmm. And um, we picked up a couple of Beverly Cleary books, and she's just a delight. Like her stories have always been very like. There's a lot of sort of like sort of bypassing of hard experiences in children's stories, Mm -hmm. especially early on. You know, I think they're doing better about that nowadays, but Beverly Cleary had always sort of given all of the emotions, whether they're hard or good to their, to the characters in her stories. And I really always appreciated that connected with that. Um, She, she has this quote that says, as a child, I disliked books in which children learn to be better children. Um, which kind of speaks to what you speak to, right? It's like, there are so many narratives that are like, you know, they, they start and they have to overcome and then they have to get to this place. And again, that's a powerful narrative and it doesn't always have to be that way. And we can just have people be in their stuff and not have to like climb a ladder or whatever. Right. And there's beauty in that too. So Listeners and to you, Emmy, too. Like, go pick up a Beverly Cleary book. They're wonderful. Uh, Ramona and Beezus, Henry and Ribsy, all that stuff is is a delight. Um, and that's why she's my empathy hero this week. I love that. I love that yeah. so much. Um, okay, I had the honor of going to visit a college class yesterday, and oh. the professor of this class is named Evan. Evan, oh my gosh, stop. <laughs> it's like Mandarin, Evan Mandary. Um, and he is the author most recently of a book called Poison Ivy about how elite colleges are dividing America mm. um, and perpetuating inequality. And he teaches here at the City University of New York, John Jay College. And it was really, really amazing to meet these students and to see the bonds that he has with them where he like is just um really has he's one of those teachers who's like devoted his life to teaching and just like gives so much of himself and just it was so clear that he saw his students as like full people yeah mm. um yeah i love that yeah we it was really teachers. like yeah we need it yeah and it was so it was just so inspiring and it made me like think about okay what kind of an impact can i make on other people's lives just by like seeing them for who they are. 
Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. My my wife is a teacher, um, community college as well, and and teaches in a men's prison, writing, um, and it's just like it's she's she's someone who inspires me every day, and I think it it's 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 because of the how she teaches mm-hmm. so compassionately and and patiently, and yeah, we need them. We need people like that in the world. Um, mm-hmm. hmm. Emmy. Where where can the listeners connect with you? Where can they order your book? I already mentioned, but all that stuff. Yeah. Where where to where to send them? Yes. So I have a website. It's emmyneedfeld.com. And my I have Twitter and Instagram, but my favorite way to keep in touch is my newsletter. Um, I have a Substack I send out usually when I publish a new article. And um it just I feel like it's more real than most social media. Mm-hmm. And I try to keep it really fun with my suggestions for the best SNL skits, non-alcoholic beverages, um, and just silly stuff from around the internet. Awesome. Yeah. All those links will be in the show notes at feelyhuman.co listeners. Emmy Neatfeld, thank you for being a part of Yumi Empathy. It was it was fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Noon. This was oh my awesome. Gosh. My pleasure. And to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's Yumi Empathy. Love, love, love. Love, love.